inspiring and equipping you to live the life you're destined to live. This is the Ascend Men Podcast. Last week, we heard the first part of David and Andrew's fireside chat. If you didn't get it, you'll still benefit from this episode, but you'll be missing all the context on what nearly killed them. So please go back and have a listen. David ended the episode with a question to Andrew. Your prostate cancer, that's not the only thing that's been going on. It's not the only brush you've had with cancer. Um, Am I right in that? Yeah, so in my mid-50s, I was diagnosed with a bright brain tumour, which really came out of the blue. And it was one of those things that it it was a pituitary um, Uh tumour. It was benign. Mm. So it wasn't cancerous, but it was growing Mm. and... And it's it was growing beneath the brain, next to the pituitary gland, which is basically the master gland in the body. So basically, as the tumour was growing, it was pushing on that, and it meant that all sorts of levels of stuff in my body was all over the place. All over the place, wow. And, and you know, I'd noticed for probably a year or two before that you know, things were changing and I mm. thought it was me just getting old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, for the for the listeners then, yeah. so your your prostate cancer was definitely picked up as a result of an organised and routine check. Yeah. But this doesn't sound like it was a, a routine check. This was, mm, something's not right here, I need to get checked out. Is that what happened there? I, I actually fell off my bike and broke my collarbone. And because... I'd had that happen, I had to I, I had to sleep on my back because of the yeah. collarbone, yeah. which then highlighted the um, sleep apnea. And then I got that checked out because right. they thought maybe it was throat cancer. Yeah. So they did a scan for that. And then in scanning for the throat, Gosh. they spotted this strange lump in the middle of my brain. So... It was all a sort of a series of events. But again, something that um, symptom-wise, I wouldn't have been rushing to the doctors, but the sleep apnea was so scary Yes, yeah. that, yeah. that I thought, no, I, I really need to find out what's mm. happening. Mm. And, and the mighty relief that I did. Yeah. It's very, very different to the prostate cancer because that was life-threatening, whereas yes. the... Yeah, the pituitary is more life changing. So I suppose a question that has occurred to me on on more than one occasion with my own situation: you've got choice in life. You can you could consider yourself very blessed and very fortunate that you had both of your diagnoses when you did, or if you were more of a kind of cup half empty outlook on life, you could feel let down. You know mm. how is my you know how is my God that let this happen? Where do you, do you feel different on that spectrum? Different days at different times in your journey, or yeah. where does where does Andrew Baker sit on that line? Well, holding my glass of beer, which is half full, yeah, I am a I am a glass half full person. Mm. 
But the thing I reflect on is, you know, I'd been a Christian since I was 18. And you sort of think, when push comes to shove, is this faith thing, is it going to mean, mm. you know, when it rubber really hits the road? Yeah, yeah. There are so many things in that I don't understand faith-wise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the whole mm. experience was something where God being a rock was true. Mm. The cancer more so than the, the pituitary tumour. It did feel like cancer had its shotgun held to your head. Mm. I know that God heals in miraculous ways. Yeah. I know that. Mm. And, yeah. you know, I think we should be bold in our prayers for ourselves and for people who mm -hmm. we know were mm -hmm. ill. But that, the overriding feeling I had at the time was... I know God is bigger than cancer, but I didn't think that me being a Christian gave me the, the get-out-of-jail card. I can completely identify with that. Yeah. yeah. And, and actually, the overwhelming feeling I had was God is God whether Andrew Baker lives through this yeah. or not. Yeah. And actually, you know, my wife Jackie, she felt God was with us mm. and that was enough. Mm. 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 And for me, that sort of um, when the fear of death has gone, mm. and don't get don't get me wrong, I didn't want to die, and yep. the prospect yep. of leaving young mm. family, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. but the freedom when that fear of death has gone yeah. was so releasing. Yeah, yeah, and it leaves me being very thankful mm. Mm. for God, and it, yeah, my glasses very much very half, much half, half full. Mm. Mm. It's easy to say now after the event, but each day I had to steal myself. How did you feel? And is your glass half full? Or it's it's interesting because I think it has slightly changed the way that I think about faith and about how people experience faith. Because I was right up until my operation, I was. I think I went for a bike ride um, with Dan, I think the Thursday. Yeah. And I had my operation on the Saturday. <laughs> Suzanne wasn't yeah. happy, just in case I fell off. But it's just like, you know, I'll be fine. Yeah. Um, what could go wrong? What could go, what could yeah. possibly go wrong? Um, so, you know, I you know, I cycled about, you know, most years about 3,000 miles. So I Ooh. was sort of pretty, pretty healthy. And then you've got somebody telling you that they're going to have to do this really aggressive invasive dangerous sounding operation to somebody who feels fine and my surgeon sort of said to me he said you're going to hate me he said because when you come around from the anesthetic he said most of my customers have either got crushing chest pains or breathlessness he said you're as fit as a butcher's dog and you're mm. going to come around from the anesthetic on sunday morning feeling like you've been hit by a double-decker bus, he said, you're going to hate me. <laughs> and in a way, it challenges your faith in the broader sense of what does faith mean, because faith is taking on trust to believe something that you can't see. Mm. And, you know, my experience was that I could run, I could cycle about 3,000 miles a year. Mm. I sort of felt as fit as, as, as ever. And I'd got somebody saying, you know, and I'm going to take temporarily i'm going to take all that away from you and you have to trust me and have faith that what i'm saying is true and i think 
sadly, many people must come to a point in life when they get told something that they can't cross-check, they can't look mm. it up on Wikipedia or Google or whatever. They have to, mm. you know, the medic or whoever expert it is, they have to sort of trust that, no, what you're saying is true and I'm going to have mm. to go along with this. And so... So for people who sort of say, how can you have a faith in a God that you can't see? It's just like, well, I had faith that I needed this really traumatic mm. surgery and I couldn't see the cause of that either, but I still no. went still mm. went through with it. So in, in that sense, it's kind of given me a wider understanding of faith. Mm. Mm. But just like you, it's just, I do believe that God heals and he can heal supernaturally, but it seemed to be the way of evidence was pointing to the fact that that, that wasn't going to be so in my case and that all, mm. we were going to have a bumpy road along the way. But I never felt abandoned by God. And I, I and if anybody sort of you know says, well, how do you feel about everything that happened, and particularly a diagnosis, and I'll mm. nearly always, the words that I'll nearly always use say, I was very blessed. I was very fortunate that it was picked up before mm. any really serious permanent damage mm. was done. And, and I still very much how I see it. Mm. Mm. Through work, I used to deal with a lot of MOD. The UK was busy on deployments. Mm. So there was lots, lots happening. And there was um, one good friend who... Um, it's a term that I wouldn't sort of normally use. Um, and he just said, gosh, Andrew, you are a lucky bastard. <laughs> and and there's something about it that I, I found quite amusing because there wouldn't be many people who would say that to me when you've just been treated for cancer. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't believe in luck and I don't like the term bastard. Mm -hmm. But there's something just about the sentiment yeah. behind yeah. it that mm -hmm. you've chosen that you are very blessed. And mm -hmm. yeah, but there is something about the gritty realism of the situation that Forces Guy said sticks in yeah. my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. And, and also, it reminds me, I think, that actually help and support came from many different quarters, mm. many church people. And, yep. and many non-church mm, friends. Mm, yeah, in some ways that, that was special. You yeah, know, when you think yeah, back and yeah. the, the kindness, and it wasn't all bad as a process. No, and, no. But another thought that what you were saying, um, it struck me that for our situations, we both owe a debt of gratitude to um, the health service. Oh, hugely, because hugely. If I wasn't living in a first world country, I mm. probably wouldn't be sat here mm. now drinking mm. this beer. Yeah, no. And that's the reality of completely. Um just the yeah, well the the being detected, being able to have an operation in a reasonably timely way, and then just the care. I mean the yeah. I was in I was in Papworth mm. and um I mean I, I when I came around from when I when I was in intensive care they can send you for all these sorts of things they're going to do to you because they can't mm. wake you up halfway through and say, is it okay if we just change the plan? So one of the things they said is, if we see your coronary arteries and we see they're looking a bit furred up, we might do a triple bypass as while we're <laughs> in there because it's like, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it'll, it'll save doing that at a later date. And I was going like, oh, all right, okay. And so they said, so, so you might wake up and we've, we've 
hiked a load oh. of veins out of your legs to use for the plumbing. It's like, oh, okay, that's great. And so I sort of kid you not, when I came around in intensive care and I was sort of conscious and sensible enough, to, the first thing I did was I lifted the sheet up to have a look down at my legs to see yeah, if, they, if, if there was... <laughs> are there any big scars? Because somebody sort of said to me that, you know, they, 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 they can be as sore as, yeah. as anything else. And it, honestly... What sort of while I was doing this, I was just like, I've got a lot of wires and tubes in me. Mm. And I counted up the number of wires and tubes that were either stuck in me or stuck on me. And I got to about 20 and then I gave up. Wow. And it was just like you were just surrounded by all these incredibly caring people, clever people with all this technology mm. you know i had and i was wired up to this box of tricks that made my heart beat regularly for, for the best part of a week because yeah. i had two wires and they were actually they they were in yeah. my heart muscle wall and this box was just there taking over that aspect of my life until i was sort of strong enough to to cope yeah. on my own and and just the, the care of the nurses it was just like you know i could sort of well up when i think about it because yeah it's just like I was feeling pretty sorry for myself, and they just like they were just so kind mm. and so patient and so caring. And it's just like you must do this day in, day out for mm. everybody. And it was just so humbling. Mm. It really, really was. Yeah, really was. And did you ever think about what the end of life might mean? I, I, it's not something I dwelt on, right? But it's something I had to peace mm. over. You know, I, I certainly hold life more precious. Mm. You, you, you know, you realise that you're not immortal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and life can change. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I've, I think I'm, I'm more conscious of that. Mm. And. Mm. And, and there's a reason why I didn't want to keep pushing the body in the way that I knew mm. I was. So although the surgery for the brain tumour was very successful, I, I knew I couldn't carry on at the pace, pace I was. Do. So yeah. a year and a half ago, I took the conscious decision to step mm. back from mm. sort of senior role yeah. at, at work yeah. in, into sort of something that was part-time. Yeah. And yeah. I know that was the right thing to yeah, do the, yeah, the body yeah. feels better for having done that mm, mm. and i don't know if i'll be fit and healthy as a 70 or 80 year old but i'm quite relaxed about that mm. and if something was to happen i'll just deal with it mm. I, th I think i would have regretted it if i just carried on and didn't do things now yeah. that i want to do mm. Mm. I, I always remember uh Care for the family, um, Rob Parsons. Oh yes, talk, and it, it, it was all about bringing up families and children. Yes. Yeah. And and one of the statements there was, he said, "You don't get many people on their deathbed saying, oh, I wish I'd spent more time oh, in the office.'" Yeah, yeah. I think it does change. Well, it certainly changed my perspective, and mm. I suppose I have to be a little bit careful that I don't allow myself to get too stressed because i do one of the things about the surgery is it has left me with a permanently irregular heart rate mm. um and so there's three things that make that worse 
stress, caffeine and alcohol, mm. you know, which are all, you know, can be part of the picture of a middle-aged man's um, mm. lifestyle, shall we say. And so, you know, I, I was never a really big drinker, but that's you yeah. know, one of the reasons why I hardly ever drink now. But it has, you know, it has made me just sort of think about the whole idea of having a balanced life and that life's mm. not all about work it's not all about family and in a way it's also it's not all about faith i think faith is at the center mm. you know i sort of really strive to have everything in its place and in its in its balance and a mm. balance that works for me um mm. none of us knows how long we've got <laughs> I was told to put your affairs in order, which is very sobering when you get mm. told that. And yeah. so, you know, I had to do the lasting power of attorney paperwork and all mm. of those sorts of things that you're kind of not expecting to do at yeah. this young age. Mm. You know, you sort of think that's something that old people do. Well, guess what? We're getting old. Um, so I had to do all of that. And I actually, it's in a, it's in a book in the desk next door. I wrote everything down for if I was going to need a funeral, mm. I chose a reading, I chose the songs that I'd like, I sort of suggested who might be an appropriate person to lead the service, mm. you know. And I realised when I was doing that that, in a sense, we're not given to know what death is like. It's mm. a mystery in yeah. that we the Bible's pretty silent mm. on what the afterlife <laughs> is actually like in, in really kind of concrete terms. You don't mm. get many Instagram postings from the other side. And so it is a, it's a mystery. And whether or not we're the same and renewed or we're different or, mm. you know, I'm not clear in my mind what all of that means to and I don't really want to think about it. But I realised that I didn't fear it but we'll all leave people behind and people that we love and care for. And I thought, well, they'll be grieving their loss and they won't want the responsibility or the worry of sort of thinking, are we doing an appropriate thing? Is that what David would have wanted as if I would be there to care? So I decided that I'd write everything down. Mm. And it was almost the act of writing everything down made me realise that the thing I'm most concerned about is the is the people that I'll leave behind and the gap and the pain that they will feel rather than any fear mm. that I feel about what the future might yeah. hold. Mm. Yeah, the act of the process of doing that kind of helped me come to terms with the fact that I was going to have this big surgery. So I never got to the point of being that organised. But I mean, mm. to be brutal, in my case, if it was if it was going to happen, it was going to be quick. Yeah. Whereas mm. in you would have probably, in all likelihood, had a bit more yes, warning the, that the evil day was coming. I think it was more the um, the bit of brain tumour. You know, they, mm. the, they're, they're taking a two centimetre lump out from the middle of your brain. So it was it was the fact that you could end up. The, the, the tumour was sat between the carotid arteries, oh, the gosh, brain... yeah, that's true, actually. ..and the optic yeah. nerves. So the, the the risk was a slip of the... A slip, slip of the, the scalpel, you know, you could be blind. Right, or, right. You know, um, it, or a carotid artery... Yes. ..going so in the middle gonna, of the brain isn't going to... That's not going to end well, is it? So, mm. so that was quite... So, but but actually, the reality of it only dawned on me more after the event. <laughs> well, I saw the actual surgeon was on TV. 
Oh, okay. And I saw him perform a similar operation, and right, and and that was quite. Yeah, that sort of caught up with us. Mm. I mean, there were two surgical teams because uh, the um, the wonders of surgery. Um, I had this tumour removed, and they took it out through holes in the back of my nose. Taking okay. this, yeah, yep. and and I walked out of hospital after three nights in there, and I didn't even have a bruise on my face. I just like looked like I'd been visiting the hospital, wow. which again is just yeah, staggering yeah. in terms is, of their ability yeah. and and how fortunate. Gosh. I was with the surgery, but um, but yeah, that whole thing of people going inside your brain mm. or your head, that that yeah. that yeah. that sort of played on me more afterwards. Interesting, and mm. yeah, and um, and again the an outward thing. I I I'm sure that when they were doing all their replumbing work with with my prostate cancer mm. they i'm sure they did something with my tear ducts in my eyes because oh, i I, I now will find my eyes leaking profusely at the slightest thing mm. um mm. I, I, you know sort of the a sad tv program or whatever and i'm just yeah. A, a, yeah. a a mess and um yeah i um i i remember speaking to a a, a friend who had been through some very sort of severe operations, and and I, I, I sort of being a bloke, I didn't like to sort of really say to him that uh, I, I was find myself sort of getting uh, emotional about things in the way. Mm. I but I, one night we were we were chatting, and and I did, and and he said, "Oh yeah, don't worry, I'm." I've just had a big blubber over watching an episode of Coronation Street and we had a bit of a laugh. But yeah, the telling thing yeah. is that this guy had been in the UK Special Forces for 15 years. Goodness. And, yeah, you know, yeah. if if somebody wants to go up to him and say, you know, mate, you're a bit of a wimp because yes. you're crying, yeah. they're a braver yeah. man. Because yeah. <laughs> he's not, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so I think with the whole cancer and the brain tumour. I think one of the saddest things that I've encountered is where I've come across guys who are going down a similar road, yeah. but they left it too late. Yes, yeah. And I have to say, I found that really one of the hardest things to deal with, mm. because mm. I so nearly didn't go to the doctor. Yeah. And there, you, there are all these reasons why you, you don't, mm. or you mm. might not, but those guys would have give anything now to wind that clock back Absolutely. and say, I only wish I'd gone mm-hmm. sooner. Mm. And I'd actually say that it's it's not something that you should be kind of, oh, yeah, this is a good thing to do when you're in your 50s. Mm. Um, you know, one of the things that when I was you know, having my diagnosis, it's just like, you know, I was saying to the doctor, so you're telling me that half the blood's going in the right direction and half the blood is going in the wrong direction. How come I don't feel awful? Mm. And, the, and the doctor said, he said, it's because you've got heart and lung capacity to spare. Mm. He said, if you were elderly or frail, it wouldn't take much to tip you over the edge and you'd mm. be symptomatic. Mm. He said, but because you're reasonably fit and you're doing sports that are those kind of endurance sports, mm. your body can 
hide things from you mm. because you are fit and well. And I'd say that's a real nobody's t- nobody's too well to suffer from these sorts of things. I had people sort of saying to me, "How come you you know you you can't possibly have a heart condition? You're so mm. you're so fit." Mm. Or what was even worse was, oh, have you brought this upon yourself because you've been overdoing it with too much running or too much cycling? You know, have you overstrained yourself for somebody of your age? Mm. And none of that's true. You know, and it's that that thing of if you have a healthy lifestyle, if you have a healthy diet, if you exercise, on average, you'll live longer. Mm. On average, you'll have less illness. Mm. But when it comes down to the individual, it's binary. You're either in you're either in okay condition mm. or you're not. And you know, tragically, um, you know, f- friend of mine, you know, died within months of his fiftieth birthday of metastatic colon cancer, and mm. he went downhill incredibly quickly. And I was talking to a friend of mine at, at Abenbrooks, who's a who's a mm. um, an oncologist, and he was saying it's often the way, and a bit like you were saying when you're prostate surgeon was saying well for somebody at your age the trajectory is like that Mm. you know it's it's it could get worse really quickly Mm. i think the truth of it is that there's something about you know cancer and some other disorders you know don't want to frighten anybody but Mm. it's almost like they can affect fitter healthier younger people more because if you don't have regular checks i think they Mm. can they they can they can become quite advanced before you get Mm. before it gets picked up and I think the other thing with us guys, we're, we're just not very good at getting things checked, even if we no. know something's not quite mm, right. Mm. Think of testicular cancer. Mm, mm. People just being too embarrassed yeah. Yeah. to, to yeah. go. And you do sadly hear of just mm. too many people who, mm. who don't go to the mm. doctor because they're embarrassed. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And there really isn't anything to be embarrassed about. Mm. As you've sort of touched on earlier, um, thinking about the people that you might leave behind. Mm. If you, mm. our health isn't just about us, is it? It affects it, it, all of it. It affects those, those closest yeah, absolutely. to us. Absolutely. And and if you don't do it for yourself, get yeah. things checked for for the, for the people. people you love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sort of quite a sobering thought, but. Mm. The women in their lives are far more likely to be having breast screening, cervical. Yes, yeah. you know, there's the streets ahead of us, and yeah. you know we're just too often embarrassed mm, or mm. think it's not macho to yeah. go along and get these things checked out yeah, when yeah. we really need to be. Mm. I think that sort of oh, it's oh, you know I'm a I'm a bloke. I'm you know <laughs> blokes are really uncomplicated. You know mm. we don't need a lot of all of these regular health checks. So th- hopefully we've debunked that myth. But I feel that a lot of people of our generation can be in danger of being like that about things like mental health and loneliness, mm. and you know the sort of you know the needing you know, to, to sort of talk through other aspects of their lives, and not just people of our age, but people younger than us. You know that there's mm. that sort of you know a lot of us do still take some of our norms and our models of behaviour from our dads. Mm. And you know they they didn't necessarily say to us this is how you behave, son. But we mm. spent years in a lot of cases watching them and learning. And we, mm. as we get older, we might be emulating them. And the 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 thing that I would say is that it's not just it's not just about admitting that you need to get yourself physically checked out, but having people around you who you can trust, who you can mm. be. 
accountable to, mm. who you can share concerns with, you know, whether it's a life partner or, mm. you know, sometimes somebody you're not with every evening, you know, mm. but, you know, one of your, one of your mates, one of your, mm. one of your friends, you know, one of the reasons that... So it sounds like you've got uh, a weekend of DIY ahead of you. So I should probably let you go and um, you can think about getting back and getting stuck into that. Yeah, we shouldn't just keep talking and talking, but uh, it's been great to catch up. Oh, it's been wonderful having you around, actually. Hopefully um, Alan will get something useful out of this for the listeners. Yeah, a couple of minutes of something. Hope so. Yeah, I suppose at the end of the day, it's good to talk about these things. And it's one of the great things with the same that gives us another opportunity as a group of guys. Totally. And if if anything that we've spoken about sparks off any thoughts or any questions, I'm sure Alan will be happy to pick up on on anything that kind of crops up in people's minds and will be happy to fill questions. Mm, Good. Well, it's been great to see you. Thanks. Chance to clink glasses before we go. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Last bit. Cheers now. Cheers. Well, that wraps up our first fireside chat. A huge thanks to Andrew and David for their vulnerability and courage. As natural as it sounded, they didn't find it easy. Message me, Alan Collie, with any comments I can pass on to them, and also whether this should be a format we repeat. Contact details are in the show notes. That's it for this Ascend Men podcast. If you've enjoyed this content, please share it with a mate. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Together, we are stronger.